0: Welcome to our first podcast for Thanks for Your Service. I'm David Hall. Thanks for Your Service is a news and information resource and its focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian Defence Force. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Thanks for Your Service. Our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net www.thanksforyourservice.net you can also email us at info at In our first podcast, we talked to Anthony Hill. Anthony is an award-winning Canberra author of 18 books of historical and literary non-fiction for adults, teenagers and younger readers. His latest book is the new and updated second edition of Animal Heroes. We visit the MacArthur Museum in Brisbane, where John Dunn takes us on a guided tour in a two-part series. And we also meet Jim Claven, who is the secretary of the Lemnos Gallipoli Commemorative Committee. Animal Heroes is a collection of 29 short stories in which Anthony Hill remembers just a few of the many gallant dogs, horses, pigeons, donkeys, pets and mascots who have served with Australia's armed services from the Sudan contingent of 1885 to the present day. And joining us on the line from Canberra is Anthony Hill. Anthony is an award-winning Canberra author of some 18 books of historical and literary non-fiction for adults, teenagers and younger readers. Anthony, many thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure, mate.
0: Anthony, you, your latest book is a new and updated right. second edition of Animal Heroes, and the first edition yep. you wrote in 2005. What's new yep. in this edition?
1: Well, I've written eight new stories, uh, some of them casting back. I go back to a couple of stories from the colonial wars, the Sudan in 1885, a New South Wales contingent went there. and back brought back a little white donkey their only trophy of war that they returned with and a story from the boer war a dog a mascot dog our first official war dog as it seems uh, who went to south africa with a new south wales bushman and ended up being presented to queen victoria and ending his days in the royal kennels it was quite an elevation for a, a working dog from the blue mountains and from there i one or two new stories from the first war a lovely story from uh, the Malaya uh, emergency in the 1950s, a tracker dog called Pedro. And then I go through to Afghanistan, the most recent uh, conflict. I did a tremendous interview. I was really very happy with uh, an interview I did with David Simpson, who had the dog, Sabi, that you may remember. She's uh, an explosive detection dog. And she went missing in Afghanistan for about 14 months, between 08 and 09. Uh, she got lost during a firefight. She didn't run off, but she ended up being taken by, it appears, by some local villagers. And was caught, taken, after about 14 months, was found by some U.S. servicemen after an attack on a uh, compound, and they saw this dog. and responded to a few commands in English, and they threw a tennis ball, and she responded to that, and they thought, yep, she's uh, an allied dog, and returned, and she came back to Australia, highly decorated, she was given the RSPCA uh, Purple Cross, and uh, she retired and lived with David as a pet, his family pet, until she died a couple of years ago, and she's now at the War Memorial. So in the Afghanistan exhibition, you know, reminding just the wonderful service these dogs render, the lives they save, it's, it's quite remarkable.
0: And, and looking at from yeah. a Canberra, Canberra angle, can you talk to us a little about the contribution of horses during World War I and the fact that only one came back?
1: Well, the one that came back was a horse called Sandy, who uh, was General Bridges' fav- uh, favourite charger. Uh, he came from northern Victoria originally, Sandy, uh, bridges uh was the first commandant of rmc royal military college and he when the war broke out became the first commander of the first division of the raf and uh, he went uh, sandy went with him when the first contingent sailed uh, in late 1914 uh Bridges went to Gallipoli. The horses mostly didn't go to Gallipoli. Some went, but they were returned. It was too steep for horses. Mules, they had many mules as beasts of burden up the steep ridges. Some donkeys, of which the most famous was one called Murphy, who uh, worked for the ambulance man, Simpson Kirkpatrick. And uh, Bridges was killed uh, in Shrapnel Gully only a few days before... Uh, Simpson himself was killed at much the same place. Bridges was brought home to Australia, the only Australian soldier who was killed in the First War to come back to Australia, and he was buried on Mount Pleasant, overlooking, uh, Royal Military College, you know, where he was the first commandant. Towards the end of the war, they decided to bring Sandy home as well, his own, the only horse that came back. Some 135,000 Australian horses went overseas. Uh, during the First War, none of them returned. Although, I must say, the the ending of the story is not as grim as it's sometimes said. It's all, often said that all the Australian horses were shot, um, and some men talk about having shot their own whalers in Egypt and uh, Palestine especially. Uh, it's certainly true that uh, there were about 9,000 horses left in Palestine at the end of the First War, And of these, about 3,000, those over 12 or in ill health, were shot mainly under veterinary supervision. They wouldn't give them to the locals because, you know, they weren't very well treated. But the remainder of them, some 6,000 horses, uh, went on to serve with other imperial horse units, mainly the Indian Cavalry with whom the uh, whalers were first try- uh, bred, really, from the 1840s onwards. Sandy came back, however. He was to have come to Duntroon to end his days there next to General Bridges, but he stayed in Melbourne. And when he died in 1923, they mounted his head and shoulders, and it's, you can, they're still preserved at the uh, Australian War Memorial in Canberra in a glass case, and he's sometimes brought out for exhibition. But, you know, Sandy's most lasting tribute, memorial is to be found elsewhere. Uh, Bertram McKennell, who did the uh, sculpture, uh, the memorial to the Australian Light Horse, which was erected at Sewers. It shows a, a rearing horse with a rider and another horse fallen with a soldier crouching near it. The rearing horse's head was modelled on the head of Sandy. And uh, the head was destroyed. The statue... At Sewers was blown up sometime during the Sewers crisis. Most of it was destroyed, but they salvaged a few bits, including the head, the bronze head. And they brought it back, and it is now the centerpiece of a memorial to uh, all animals in war that's been erected in the uh, statue garden at the Australian War Memorial. Mm-hmm. My friend Stephen Holland designed it. It's very beautiful. And the centerpiece is his head on a plinth. And it's so evocative, you know, David. You look at it from one side and you see this noble head of the horse and you walk around the other side and it's all shattered and all blown apart. It's, it's terribly evocative of yeah. the of the of the sacrifice that animals make just as their humans do. I, I, I recall oh, as, father, a,
0: very I recall as boy, a very young boy. Uh, looking at uh, uh, at uh, uh, the site of the Camel the Corps, the, Australian, the camel War, Australian War Memorial in the nineteen seventies, yeah. yeah. w- yeah. were the camels taken the camels from, came Australia, from Australia, to Australia to serve with the no, Camel Corps? No, no, they
1: were no. They came. They came from the Middle East, mainly Egypt, uh, Egypt, I think, and Palestine at the time. They weren't taken from Australia. I don't, as far as I know, uh, they had no need to really. It was the whalers, the, the sturdy. Party enduring qualities of the of the whalers. it's you know all the best of them always had some Shire horse in them, and their fathers, their sires, most uh, the best of them always had some English thoroughbred in them. The dams came from all sorts, you know, Welsh ponies and mountain ponies and brumbies and stock horses and quarter horses. But the sires usually had a bit of a bit of thoroughbred, and the closer to and so, uh, the better it gave them the enormous stamina, as the Shire horse gave them the extraordinary strength. You know, mm. but uh, the camels, were, as far as I know, were mostly uh, recruited in the Middle East. It was the horses that were taken.
0: Now, Animal yeah. Heroes Animal is a, Hero. an updated yeah. second, uh, updated second, edition, second edition. edition, and your latest book, your latest book is titled in For Love, Love of Country, Love Country about an Australian soldier-settler family between the yeah. two yeah. World, World Wars. What was the inspiration World for that World book? World.
1: Well, the publisher. Uh, I'm, I'm with Penguin, and the public. We were looking for a story. This centenary of the Great War, you know, Gallipoli going through to the Armistice in 2018. For we're looking for a story that would say something about what happened to the men when they got home from that war and their families. You know, what I'm not a historian. I'm a novelist, although I write on a historical subjects, and I make the research the factual structure of it as, as, as well as i can but i tell them as the stories and so i was looking for a story that might serve as as, as a metaphor in which i could hang this this narrative and a friend of mine suggested uh the edison family from canberra it's really a story that looks at the two generations of the great wars of the 20th century the First War, the father, Walter Edison, an Englishman, a very fine horseman. Um, he was in Australia looking for land when the Great War broke out. He joined the Light Horse. Spent most of 15 in Egypt looking after the horses in Egypt. Those, most of them didn't go to, to, to Gallipoli. But he did go to Gallipoli for the end, and he had the last two weeks on Gallipoli. was on the second-last boat out with his uh, uh, unit. He was with the second... Uh, a brigade of the light horse and uh, he then went to France and was gassed brought his family to Australia at the end of the war uh, they, ended up, they had three sons and three daughters at the end and he drew a soldier settler block in Canberra uh, and they called it Yamba, hence uh, those of you who know Canberra, Yamba Drive mm. the homestead was practically where the Bowden shopping centre now stands it's a land that i know i live and very close to it and cross it every every week and the story documents the the struggles to, to establish the farm to survive during depression uh... leading to the events that ended up you know it, it cut the world and moved to war once again in 1939 and the three boys uh... joined up uh, the tom the eldest and keith the youngest both went into the Air Force pilots: Keith with the R.W.A.F. and Tom with the R.A.F. in England, and Jack, the middle one, went into the Army Eighth Division, captured when Singapore fell, and sent as a P.O.W. to Japan. Well, both Tom and Keith were killed, uh, shot down during the war fighting. Keith over New Guinea, uh, Tom over Holland, returning from a raid and uh, left only Jack. And after the war had finished, they heard that Jack had also died in uh, the POW in Japan only 11 days after his brother had died. Really quite terribly tragic. And it was a great metaphor. Uh, It's not a usual experience, although not not unknown for a family to lose all their boys in in, in battle. And uh, it was a great tragedy. And it's it it tells us that that wars affect not just those who are involved with them but the families and the generations that go on you know to, uh, continue around them and it's what it did i was very lucky with this uh there's one surviving daughter pam young and she was enormously generous to me she made all the family archive available i'd kept all his, uh, the boys letters that they'd written during the war mm. And so the last part of the story, I could largely tell it in their words. Amazing. It was uh, lots of photographs and diaries and all that sort of memorabilia. It's marvellous.
0: And what are you planning for Anzac planning Day, for this Day this year?
1: I'm going to Portland in southern Victoria. And uh, they've asked me to, a couple of years to go and I couldn't go last year, but this year we're going. And... Uh, it's quite fortuitous and grand because the theme of their celebration their Anzac commemoration in Portland this year is animals and war mm. and uh, you know they're going to, they've got some light horses appearing I believe there's some dogs there are pigeons uh, and things like this that's uh, just super I, I'm so pleased you know over the last decade or so uh, most of the animals have been forgotten we remembered simpson's donkey murphy one or two others sabi you know she had uh, very big in the news when she came home most of them have been forgotten tens of thousands of animals two pigeons at the war memorial with medals that the Dickon medal equivalent to the victoria cross for Mm. animals the only two australian animals that have got the Dickon medal and it's just been wonderful in the last decade to see how people are responding and and are commemorating and remembering the animals and much more openly than we used to do so i you talk to the men and women who went to vietnam and of the 11 or 10 tracker dogs uh, still alive that were left behind in vietnam Mm. they didn't come home because but now they do
2: Mm.
1: since Somalia in the 90s the the dogs do come home I'd say if they get through quarantine and most of them do and most of them come home and live out their days with their handlers, as mm. turn out. And there's memorials open, you know, uh, a couple here at the War Memorial, but sand, the one Sandy Sandy's head I've mentioned. Uh, it's a national memorial to the dogs and the military working dogs and the service dogs too, police and uh, customs dogs mm. in, in Brisbane and memorials right around the country and I think it's grand.
0: It, it is great. Where, it where is can great. People, where people obtain or order your books from?
1: Uh, well, I can get them online. Uh, bookshops in in Australia have them, and I also sell them myself. You know, from my own website. But, uh, but I sign them and send them out. Uh, but it's uh, but I know many of them today are, are go up online as eBooks for people certainly listening from uh, from overseas. Sure.
0: Anyway. And uh, and, yeah, and the cost obviously, the postage
1: these days is dreadful. It's yeah. almost as expensive as the book.
0: Yeah, and and, and obviously, and obviously, we'll post your website uh, online, which is www.anthonyhillbooks.com. Is it A. U. or .com? No, just just .com. So, Anthonyhillbooks.com. Right. Uh Anthony, thank you so much for your time today. It's much appreciated. My pleasure,
1: though.
0: The MacArthur Museum is located on the eighth floor of MacArthur Chambers at 201 Edward Street in Brisbane. It was the location that General Douglas MacArthur had the Brisbane headquarters of the war in the South Pacific from 1942 to 1944. John Dunn is the supervising associate at the museum and we meet him in General MacArthur's former office. Can you explain the room that we're in now and the significance of the office?
3: The room here is the uh, originally was the uh, boardroom for the A and P Society, and uh, when the Americans took over the building in uh, December of '41, uh, it uh, they took over all nine floors, and this uh, boardroom became uh, General Douglas MacArthur's office. And it was from here that uh, he developed all the strategy and the planning uh, for the war in the Southwest uh, Pacific area. And w- when
0: did General MacArthur occupy the office? Uh,
3: MacArthur arrives in Australia in uh, March of 42. Uh, he goes down to Melbourne initially, uh, but after three months in uh, Melbourne, uh, finds that he's too far away from the action, which is occurring north of Australia. So he moves up here in July of 42, and he's here for uh, two years till July of 44 when he moves his headquarters up uh, to Hollandia in uh, Dutch. Uh Where
0: was he physically living at the time that he was in Brisbane?
3: He was living in the old Lennon's Hotel up in George Street. Uh, unfortunately, Lennon's is long gone. Um, but he would, uh, he would come from Lennon's down, uh, what is now the Queen Street Mall, uh, and arrive at uh, the front door here of the, uh, what is now the MacArthur Chambers uh, at about 10 o'clock in the morning.
0: And we're now in uh, the office which he occupied, and you said that the, the desk is a, is a copy or a restoration of, a, of the desk which is now located in the US, is that correct? Yes. That's and the correct. chair, for example?
3: The chair is original. Um, you know, I think they called it a captain's chair. Uh, but it's certainly uh, uh, one of a number of artefacts we found when the museum was uh, put together back in 2004.
0: And it's a quite a, a, a modest room. There's an old Bakelite telephone sitting on the desk, um, some old fountain pens, etc. Uh, and there's a fireplace. Um, behind his seat, Brisbane weather in winter by my old Canberra stands is pretty mild. W- w- would pretty would mild. the fireplace ever been used, do you think?
3: I uh, don't know whether or not it was ever used, but um, you know, it, it was fully functional. It still is fully functional. One of the things that um, uh, you might not uh, appreciate is that above the fireplace there, we have uh, a painting of George Washington. Now, Normally, we would expect to see uh, a portrait of the President of the United States there, uh, Roosevelt. But uh, Roosevelt and MacArthur didn't get on, and uh, uh, MacArthur was a uh, Republican, Roosevelt was a Democrat, and MacArthur said he wasn't going to sit under any damn Democrat, and uh, his excuse was that George Washington was his boyhood hero.
0: What else can you tell us about, about his office at the moment?
3: We've got also a cigar box uh, in front of his desk, which is original, I understand. Yes, the cigar box there. And uh, we also have a little cigarette box on, on his uh, uh, desk here. he uh, got MacArthur smoking a corncob pipe. But in fact, he smoked uh, cigars and cigarettes as, as well. Now, the corncob pipe was a bit of a, a photographic prop. Um And, uh, you know, it's one of the few artefacts that we have that is uh, genuine uh, to MacArthur and and from that period. Um,
0: I think that the headquarters occupied all eight floors. of The building. Um, So can you give us a size or an idea of the size of his headquarters element, the staff that would have worked here?
3: Um, The exact numbers uh, I don't know, but certainly um, all of the major uh, elements of his command were here. Uh, For instance, uh, General George Kinney, who was head of the 15th Air Force, he had uh, his headquarters here. uh, um, Blamey. who was in charge of uh, land forces, is the only person who didn't actually have his headquarters here. He was out at St Lucia uh, with uh, at Queensland University. Um, most of the uh, other commands had uh, liaison officers here. The RAF had liaisons officers here. So the whole uh, nine floors were occupied, and it was quite a busy place, uh, and it was 24-7. And you
0: know? Can you give us an idea of maybe what wartime Brisbane would have looked like back when MacArthur was occupying these
3: offices? Um, wartime Brisbane, uh, it was a period of uh, austerity. Um, but when the Americans uh, arrived, they, they bought a whole... Uh, raft of things that uh, uh, to, uh, Brisbane, even before the war, had not seen or were in short supply, things like Coca-Cola and ice cream, for instance. Um, and of course, the Americans had their PX, their post exchange, where soldiers could buy uh, all sorts of things, uh, particularly cosmetics and nylons, and that made them very popular with the girls.
0: When, when it came time to relocate the headquarters away from Brisbane, where did MacArthur go next?
3: MacArthur goes up to Hollandia, um, and uh, it's part of his campaign to go back to uh, the Philippines. And we can have a look at that on the warm map we've got outside.
0: The website for the museum is www.mmb.org.au, and on Facebook, look for at MacArthur Museum. We will continue the tour on our next podcast. Jim Claven is the secretary of the Lemnos Gallipoli Commemorative Committee, which is a Melbourne-based community organisation committed to raising awareness of Lemnos's role in the Gallipoli campaign as well as the Hellenic connection to Australia's Anzac tradition across both world wars. Joining us on the line from Melbourne is Jim Claven who is the secretary of the Lemnos Gallipoli Commemorative Committee. Jim, many thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Jim, can you tell us about the Lemnos Gallipoli Commemorative Committee, please?
2: Uh, look, we're, we're a not-for-profit community organisation. We were formed in 2011, um, basically consisting of, you know, the, the some uh, ex-service personnel, the some historians like myself, um, some descendants of um, uh, nurses or soldiers that uh, fought in the Gallipoli campaign, and what the reason why we got formed was it was in the run-up to the um, centenary of Anzac. And uh, we were sort of motivated, a few, you know, the reason I was called cool was that people were motivated that the role of uh, the island of Lemnos might not get commemorated. So we wanted to promote the commemoration of the island as part of the Centenary of Anzac. So we started sort of communicating, writing. My, my my role ended up, I started doing some research, because I hadn't, although I had you know, completed a master's degree university, I hadn't really looked at sort of, you know, the other side of Gallipoli or these islands. So I started looking at the collections in the Australian War Memorial. And the photographs—it just stunned me. I was really stunned. That's what sort of got me, you know, kept me going with it. Um, because I've started preparing some documentation to send to the to the um, the government to do with the Centenary Anzac. And what I realised is that despite the fact that I read lots of books about Gallipoli, um, you know, tool guides, historical books, there's hardly any references. But yet here I found, you know, that you know, thousands of photographs taken by Australian soldiers and nurses. You know, when they're arriving, you know when they were uh, returning their sick or wounded, returning there for rest or returning there for evacuation. And the thing that really got me was the fact that it showed uh, soldiers and nurses. I suppose the other side of the, the combat situation was that during rest, recreation, or when they were recovering in the hospitals, they'd also wander, um, that they, they they take pictures of the villages, that interact with the locals, and it's a beautiful collection of photographs, and they're stored you know, in the War probably the most photographed Greek island in um, in the world, you know, sort of, you know in terms of collections of photographs. So from that, we then, um, we, you know, promoted to do with the Centenary of Anzac. Uh, we managed to, you know, convince Cajole that there was a naval ship that went there during the Centenary of Anzac. That was the first time that an Australian naval vessel had gone there um, since 1918. And uh, that was a fantastic centenary event on the island. Um, I gave a presentation. We also, the Lemnian community in Victoria, uh, provided a photographic exhibition of a selection of these photographs and gifted it to Lemnos. Uh, the Australian Embassy um, assisted us in organising a presentation and a gift of photographs to the War Memorial, sorry, the the Military Museum in Athens. Um, so that was a centenary. But what we, sort of main activity, um, if I can go on, was that we thought we had to? Why don't we have uh, a legacy project? And what a legacy project was that there, had, there was no memorial to the role of the island in uh, in Gallipoli. There are lots of memorials, you know, obviously to, to Gallipoli and its role uh, throughout Australia and overseas. We thought, why don't we do something in Australia to the role of the nurses and the fact that the soldiers were injured and and uh, were troop raiding on the island? So we raised uh, over a quarter of a million dollars um, from the community and supported by, by government. And that, that statue has been completed. It was uh, designed by Peter Corlett, who's the Lord of Australia winner, and also has designed lots of sculptures, commemorative sculptures overseas in France, in Israel, and throughout Australia. And it's a beautiful sculpture. We unveiled that in uh, this 2015, the centenary of the arrival of the nurses on Lemnos, 8th of August uh, 1915. We unveiled that in Port Melbourne, and that stands there. So we're sort of quite proud of the committee that we've at least have done Something which will be there for generations in the future, and we have a few other projects. But that sort of that was the main focus of our activity for quite a while, as well as you know promotions, education programs, and things like that.
0: Is it now in terms of your focus? Is it not just on the involvement uh, of the Australians during World War One, but also World War Two and the wider Greek campaign? Can you elaborate on that?
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, our brief was. Um, you know, the sort of broader Hellenic connection to Australia's Anzac tradition across from World War One from Lemnos in nineteen fifteen. But but um because the more I study this I realised that um there's this rich connection. It goes to either the Lemnos obviously Salonica, four hundred and fifty Australians largely nurses served on the Salonica front that went for three years um uh in Greece. There's also there was the what was known as the Corfu Flotilla, the Australian ships that served in Mediterranean, um, around Greece um, during the First World War. And then in in the interwar period, uh, there were some of these uh, Australians, nurses, soldiers who had experienced war and the effect it had on them was to, um, you know, they wanted to dedicate themselves to to peace and to dealing with the the refugees or the people, the the civilians, to get affected by war. And a number of them returned to Greece. One of them was... uh, 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 an Australian from Ballarat who served in the British Army, Major George Treloar and uh, he's from Ballarat and he he returned to northern Greece along with uh, other a couple, Sidney Locke who was at Gallipoli with his wife and they and a number of others, but they returned to um, Greece to, to work and help with the resettlement of refugees following on from what's referred to as the Asia Minor catastrophe in, in Greece. Uh, so that was the interwar period, that's in the 20s, but then of course you've got the um, Second World War, there's you know there's sorry seventeen thousand Australians go to Greece in uh, March um, to April, the mainland and then six and a half are on Crete and um, actually that I mean I'm particularly interested in the social story of it, got the interaction with the locals, the support they got and in World War II one of the main features is that the the welcome they receive uh, when they're evading capture or on the run. Uh, the support they got from the local Greek population. These are all amazing stories. So it's sort of like, I suppose, it, it, it's, it's, it's showing that um, just, I mean, I, I focus on uh, the Greek aspect, but obviously Anzac served an upper front. But this sort of, it's a deep connection, especially with, um, you know, Melbourne, where I live, has a strong uh, Hellenic community. It's said to be the third largest Greek city in the world. Um, and there are all these stories and connections amongst that community connected to the Anzac tradition. Mm. You know, there's families in Melbourne who assisted soldiers who are on the run or helped them in their advances and the like. And I just love telling those stories and uh, connecting up, uh, you know, veterans, veterans' families and w- with the local Greek community. What
0: sort of events do you hold and promote?
2: Well, what we do is, uh, the main thing we hold because of our statue is we have an annual commemorative service held in August. Um, and that's, uh, the, that's the sort of the the, um, the moment when the uh, Australian nurses, the main body of Australian nurses arrives on Lemnos and we have that every year. We have, uh, you know, we lay roots. You know, it's, it's well attended. This year we're, we're proud to be able to have um, Colonel Jan McCarthy uh, from the uh, nurses, um, head of the nurses RSL who's going to be a keynote speaker. Um, we also, uh, the other events we have is we get invited to do presentations schools, um, various community organisations, and I've given lots of presentations around, basically about the connection between Lemnos and uh, in Australia. But what I try and focus, I try and find uh, some information to do with the local connection. I've certainly, I mean, I've been to Lemnos a number of times and studied people that are buried there. It's one of the things I should have mentioned before is that um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, guidebooks and books about, Gallipoli, and one of the sad thing is that they a lot of them miss out the fact that there was 148 Australians buried on uh, Lemnos amongst the nearly 2,000 um, Allied soldiers that are buried there. So people go to Gallipoli but, uh, and they look, walk through the graves and it's very moving to do that, but there are um, Australians, New Zealanders and Allied soldiers buried just a few miles away and they're rarely visited. <coughs> so one of the things I do with these presentations is I find locals who are buried on Lemnos and tell their story uh, we also um, we've got put together a photographic exhibition we picked that 40 of the key photos from the Australian War Memorial and other collections and we had them sort of printed and framed really well and we exhibit that around the place um, we're hoping to have that at our local RSL uh, soon um, the other thing that we're doing is we're publishing a major sort of commemorative book and it'll be about Lemnos and the other islands focusing on Lemnos but also Inbrost and Tenedos and their role in the Gullitoli campaign. It'll be a pictorial history, Mm. because I think, as I mentioned before, the thing that really struck me was the the clarity and the the beauty of a lot of these photographs taken by the soldiers and nurses. And the book will basically reprint a a whole lot of those, especially a collection by... um, There was a photographer called Albert Savage. He was a... Believe it or not, he he was refused military service because of his eyesight, but yet when he did enlist to be a medical orderly, he took all these beautiful photographs. So obviously his eyesight either improved or they didn't assess him very well. So he took beautiful photographs that are, that are kept held in the State Library of New South Wales and also the University of Queensland. And well, we've obtained permission to publish those. And we're going to publish them sort of in total. They've never been published in, 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 in a, a lot. Like a lot of them have been published together. There's been one or two published. There are some iconic photographs. Well, we're going to print as many as we can. So this, this I'm working on writing this book at the moment. And hopefully that'll be out by the end of this year. The other thing we do is there's a, there's a, there are some graves that have a significance with Lemnos There's a um, Clarice Daly was a nurse on Lemnos who actually got married during the Gallipoli campaign on the island to Ernest Lawrence who was a soldier, and they were married on the island and uh, they're buried together in St Kilda. And this year we held a, a, a small sort of service at, at, at their grave. So but we, they're, they're the sort of activities that we that, that we undertake.
0: You've uh, you've also launched a commemorative Anzac biscuit tin uh, for for this year. Can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, many of you people may people may know that um, Unibic, I think it's, it's the biscuit company. They they produce a sort of Anzac. Uh, they produce a tin that's got an Anzac image on it um, every year, and they produce things about six or seven for each year. And that uh, the Battle of Crete and Greece commemorative council, which I'm a part of. Um, they, this, they've been pushing to have a, a tin that commemorates the Anzacs who were in Greece in 1941. And there are some amazing photographs taken by Damien Terra, who's, people would know, famous Australian photographer, who won an Oscar for his, um, his, his, his documentary footage about Kokoda mm. um, and New Guinea. He, a um, beautiful picture of um, Anzacs during some leave in March, wandering around the Acropolis. And anyway, with that, he managed to um, be send it off to Univic, and that got, um, so, so, it's, a special, it's the first time there's been a recognition of the Anzacs in Greece on one of these commemorative tins. And, uh, so it seems to be selling really well, which is good. And the money goes to the, the profits from the sale of the tins go to the RSL and its services. What we're hoping is that next year we've proposed that they put one of the pictures of the nurses on Lemnos on that. So that's another story. So, um, we're hoping next year there'll be another one. So, um, yeah, so they're, um, you can buy them in Melbourne, <laughs> uh, at, uh, IGA stores, also, you know, your coal supermarkets and the like. So so they're um, mm. the ones promoting the services that the RSL provides to veterans, but it's also promoting awareness of um, the Hellenic connection to ANZAC.
0: Where can people go to find out more about the Commemorative Committee? Um,
2: there's, there's two ways that you can find out. One is that all of the... I'm, I, I'm the, you know, the, I've, been the tech, I've been the foundation the of the organisation. I maintain all the public sort of communications. And we have a, a Facebook page and a website and that's where we post all our news you know things about what commemorative events have being planned in Greece we as soon as we find out stuff we put it up there um, also our own news things that we're promoting so there's a there's a website and that's the uh, alumnicaipoli cc one word dot blogspot.com.au that's the website and then there's an associated Facebook page which has you know it's the same Lecalipoli c. So um, that has all of our news and all of the announcements, and they can do that. Of course, if they would like to support our work, um, they can uh, join us. And they could send me an email if they like, and I can send them a membership form. It's only $10 a year, and it means you would get all the emails from our organisation and see what we're up to. Um, yeah, my email is uh, jimclaven at yahoo.com.au. But uh, we would really welcome support. I mean, we um, say it was fantastic to be able to realise the direction of the statue on uh, in Albert Park, where uh, the nurses are left from um, and the soldiers left from. Um, and uh, it's a lovely bronze uh, statue on a stone plinth with an information board. Um, and also this, this book, I think the book hopefully will, um, again, you know, get the message out, going kind to of, uh, distribute a number of them free to schools and academic institutions and libraries. And they will be selling the book. So uh trying to recruit some of the funds to publish the
0: Jim, look, thank you very much for all your time today. Very interesting. That's the podcast for today. We're keen to hear your feedback. The email, again, is info at or leave a comment on our Facebook page. Finally, if you're interested in sponsorship or support of this podcast, head to our website or email us. Thanks for listening.